We all have dreams. Some people seem to live theirs while others seem to struggle. This is, however, merely a perception. What if you could get the answers you needed to execute on your dreams? Welcome to the Platinum Mask Podcast, a show designed to ask various young professionals just how they deal with their specific ups and downs. How does one young upstart navigate competing with name brand companies? Where do we get the best tools? How do we grow from our stress and anxiety? Most importantly, how do we properly utilize our cash flow? The Platinum Mask Podcast with your host, Grayson Mask. We wanted answers, so we're going out to get them and sharing them with you. Let's get right into today's episode. Hello, everyone. Checking out the The Planet Mask podcast. I am Grayson Mask. I have with me Mark Baker Sanchez, who is the founder and editor-in-chief of Done, the magazine. And this was a conversation that popped off. Um, honestly, was kind of talking with Mark uh, back and forth for a while on kind of like Instagram and a few other platforms about coming on the podcast. But honestly, just kind of saw his magazine through kind of local DFW Instagram pages and was very interested in kind of reaching out to see the ins and outs of kind of creating a physical magazine and, you know, kind of the pros and cons that goes into it and everything like that. So thank you again, Mark, for just taking out the time today. And uh, yeah, just the interest on in kind of sharing your story and kind of sharing your thought process that goes into, you know, done the magazine. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to share about it. It's definitely, um, it is a passion of mine. It for sure is a journey. So I'm excited to just talk with you about, um, yeah, the ins and outs of it. I had a, so I definitely had a quick question, uh, you know, first before kind of discussing, um, done, I, I was really interested on in kind of, uh, you know, before the magazine, were you like a uh, DFW native or where, where'd you uh, grow up? Yeah. So I am not a DFW native. I'm not from Texas. I am originally from the Midwest, from South Dakota. I've had quite the nomadic upbringing. I spent most of my years in the Bay Area in California, but I've also hopped around um, to Washington and Oregon and I mean, outside of California, I've also been in um, New Mexico and then spent a short time in New Jersey and New York. And was there like in that type of travels going back and forth uh, in like so many cities, was there one that like stood out the most when you think of, I guess, like uh, maybe where your creative passions were influenced when it comes to like American cities? Mm -hmm. I would say I found inspiration in all of them. All of them definitely have their own unique um vibe they have their own unique like for example like nature and um, the kinds of people that inhabit you know different cities or different areas i would say two places that had the most impact on me are going to be california and santa fe um, i lived in california for 10 years and i was only in santa fe for about a year um, however, the impact that that city had on me um, in terms of like creativity and the art and the design that happens up there, it it opened my mind to a lot of like exploration and experimentation. Um, and California, you know, being there, it exposed me to just a lot of arts in general, like going to museums 
going to galleries, going to um, art shows, and also like being able to enroll in like art programs and art organizations, be able to participate when I was in high school, um, or to create things when I was in high school, and then, you know, getting into community college and um, just exploring, you know, my arts degree when I was there. And yeah, just dipping my toes, like having time and taking space to like dip my toes into like as many different areas as I could anywhere from like graphic design to photography, to printmaking, to 2d design, um, to publication design and, um, like, like gesture drawing in, um, like fine arts. So what like eventually brought you out to the like DFW area? Cause I know, um, you know, we we're both, uh, UNT alumni. So I was kind of wondering on, um, you know, what brought you in there and like what you majored in? Yeah. So I was going to school in Santa Fe, New Mexico at the Santa Fe University of Art and Design. It was an all arts and design um, campus. We had anyone there from like performing arts, um, like dancers and people in musical theater to people in film and photography, graphic design, ceramics, painting, illustration, all, all kinds. I was going there for about a year. Um, the reason why I came to UNT is because the school had shut down. The school was shutting down and um, the corporation that owned the university was only allowing people who are going to be rising seniors to stay for the teach out. And so that was not going to be me. Um, I believe I was a sophomore. Um, and so the professor that I had, um, one of the professors I had, he was the design chair of the design program at the university. Um, his name is Jack Sprague. He had created, basically built the communication design program at UNT years ago. Um, and so he was able to put in a good word for myself and for a few friends of mine who were also going to be transferring over there to you know, get into the program and have somewhere safe to land um, because we just weren't able to, you know, stay within <laughs> the ring of options that they were giving us, which to just let you know was honestly very limited and um, for business purposes. And I wasn't, I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to, you know, partake in any of those options because I did not want to attend any of those other um, colleges or universities. So, um, yeah, that was that's why I ended up coming to to Texas. And in between that time, um, I had landed an internship with Harper's Bazaar in New York, went out there for a while, interned, um, got a lot of experience, learned a lot from the art department. Um, I worked with the senior designer, the art director, the design director, um, I ended up having the opportunity to design pages for them that were signed off by the editor in chief and went to publish. So there, that experience, that opportunity um, was pivotal for me. Um, I mean, one, in terms of confidence, because at first I didn't think that it was something that I was ready for, but I had a typography professor, um, Arlen Nathan. She pushed me. <laughs> she really pushed me. She bothered me for, you know, a long time, um, pretty much a month straight, you know, to just go for it and, you know, apply, give it a try. Um, and then, you know, I, I did 
one thing led to another and, you know, I ended up going to New York for the first time. My first day in New York was going to the Hearst Tower for my internship. And it was, it, it was very impactful because it taught me a lot, not just about fashion. Harper's Bazaar is a high fashion magazine unapologetically. Um, however, it is also a magazine about um, emancipated, liberated women who live, sorry, who live their lives um, in not just not just like a, a luxurious way, but in a way where you know they also give back to their communities too. And so it was really interesting to see all of those um, stories that they were writing about, and to be able to you know touch some of those spreads was also really cool as well. I was curious when you mentioned kind of uh, that type of internship in New York and like some of the people that you're meeting, I was curious, like when it comes to something like a fashion magazine or kind of a design magazine, is it uh, like to have qualifications on like working in something like that? Is the primary qualification like understanding fashion or is it more about like understanding magazine design and writing? Mm -hmm. I would say if you're coming in as an intern, it's showing them that you have showing work that looks like it could be for the magazine or looks like something that is not like not in, doesn't entirely need to be similar to the magazine, but it does show an interest in style. It shows an interest in fashion. It shows um, an interest in typography and visual storytelling and editorial. Um, I would really say like just in, like fashion editorial, especially Um, because I mean, we all have our own sense of fashion. We all have our own sense of style. So I wouldn't exactly say that like you need to have the best style or the best fashion as a prerequisite that lies, that would lie more into your work, especially if you are going for like something within the art department. Um, And that's not just Harper's Bazaar. That's like any of those magazines, whether it's like cosmopolitan allure, um, you're looking at something like Vogue or you're looking at um, even, even things like town and country. It's like, if you're trying to get into those kinds of places, it's like create, create that kind of work, create that kind of work, whether it is design or it is photography or it's film um, or branding, advertising. Mm -hmm. And when you mentioned like that idea of giving them like pieces of like, quality work that could possibly be used through a magazine like when it comes to like applying into these internship programs when it comes to like building that portfolio is it important that i guess like can it be any type of written work or like do you need to publish somewhere for it to be like in your portfolio if you're going for an internship you don't need to have all the accolades or have been published in a bunch of places, whether you're a writer or you're a designer or you're a creative person in general. I mean, it looks good. It does. It looks good on your resume. Um, I mean, it can show experience. It can show that you put yourself out there and you know, you're know you wanting to bring that experience and that knowledge to them as well. It can look great. I would say that it's not entirely a prerequisite. Um, to have to have all of those accolades or credentials because I mean, an internship is to gain experience. So you don't need to have, you know, everything to, you know, have that kind of experience. It's like you, you can't get experience if, you know, you don't have the experience. So it's like, 
it's not it's not entirely required. And while you're in New York and uh, doing this type of internship, I know with uh, Done the Magazine that the original founding, I I saw it was in 2018, but I I guess was there like echoes of it before that or did, uh, were you working on like another magazine or did that idea like stem before Done the Magazine? Mm -hmm. Um, So it actually originated when I transferred to UNT and I had to take another English composition class. It was a class I did not want to take. However, I'm glad that I did take it because I had an opportunity to do a research paper. And that research paper involved looking into racism and discrimination that happens within the fashion industry. That encompasses um, colorism, that encompasses sprinkling models of color on the runway to look diverse um, when they're really not, that encompasses examining all of the covers from major magazines, including places like Vogue and Harper's Bazaar and um, Elle. How many of those women on those covers are women of color, are darker toned? women of color who have not had their skin retouched or had their bodies touched to fit uh, a a male gaze, to fit a white male gaze, to fit a a corporate America gaze or that standard fashion industry gaze, which is, it is unfortunately a standard that has caused a lot of people to look at themselves wrongly and to not see their own value um, because they think that they have to look a certain way to be able to even get through the door, um, which is, it's, it's harmful. It's very harmful. And so I wrote a lot about that um, in that paper. And I, my passion never died for it. I mean, I wrote, I wrote the paper, but I, it was still a piece of writing that, you know, I myself kept coming back to. And then, um, you know, as I went on um, going through my classes at UNT, I um, kept coming back to it. And there came a photography project in one of my other arts classes. And I created a series of photographs, um, self-portraits, and they were, the concept was showing how it felt to try to fit in to societal standards, to standards of beauty, to um, standards of race, to standards of gender um, as well. And really just showing the pain and the hurt that it was causing me, Um, especially as, you know, someone who is multi-ethnic, you know, it's like I come from a family that has a lot of, different bloodlines, anywhere from Norwegian to Salvadoran to Creole, Dominican Republic, um, and, you know, to um, Native um, ancestry and uh, being Scottish and Irish. There's there's French, um, Spanish. There's a lot going on. Um, and you know, even within that, within each of those communities, there's a lot of discrimination that happens when, and 
especially, you know, someone who is multi-ethnic, you feel like you are not enough of something to be a part of that group. Um, and it's not entirely, you know, one person's fault for feeling that way because there are unfortunately a lot of people who are also hurt and hurt people hurt people and they extend their trauma to someone else. They put that onto someone else. Um, and so for me, that was a commentary. That was a commentary. After that, I explored it even more in a portfolio development class. It turned into an advertising campaign. Um, I had used the imagery that I had worked with. And then I also had um, collaborated with a friend who had provided one of their own imagery. And it that's where the hashtag um, done started was that feeling of like, I'm done, I'm finished, I'm over this feeling, I'm over the underrepresentation that I experienced, I'm over the sexualization, I'm over um, the washing of stories of people such as myself or just the blatant racism or unacknowledgement of people like me. And then continue to explore and eventually it turned into a digital magazine project in my thesis class. And then come 2020, when everything hit the fan of Black Lives Matter um, with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, um, that was when I really got upset. <laughs> that was when I really got upset. And it was also around the time when Andre Leon Talley had released his book, The Chiffon Trenches, which um, is him talking about his experience within the industry and the friends that he made, as well as the enemies that he made and how he ebbed and flowed and navigated through the industry as a black man, as a black man. Um, and there was an interview being done about him on the news and the reporter, all they could focus on was on a wind tour. All they could focus on was on a wind tour. It just was a conversation that was all about her when this was his book. This was his book. And the conversation became more about her than him. And that really upset me. And I was like, okay, I am so sick and tired of these kinds of publications and magazines and these empires. That is the story that they continue to put out is that even with all of the efforts and accolades that this that this man had, that Andre Leontali had, that conversation still ended up being about her, a white woman who was running this magazine, when here it's about him and all the things that he had done. So I was like, I'm, I, I'm, I can't, I'm done. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this out there. And that's where everything started in 2018. Um, well, 2018 was you know, when I was doing all that planning in school. And then 2020 was when it officially launched as a publication. When you kind of bring up like the, some of the media outlets and kind of like from your experience with uh, the fashion industry um, and you kind of see these large programs that get a lot of viewership, but they're, you know, misrepresenting uh, people of color stories or um, possibly not even acknowledging these stories. I was like kind of curious on like, do you think those type of models or those type of environments are like changeable? Like, can someone go in and 
change it for the better so it is more diverse or should more people i guess people of color and marginalized communities like i guess just start their own outlets mm-hmm. um this is a la- this is a layered one this is a layered one and part of me wants to say that um we can do both as a people we are powerful to do both we can go in somewhere and we can make change the thing about change though especially in this system is that it is hard and it is hard for a reason the system was not created to include us so it's not going to be easy it's not going to take a day or a night it's not going to take a year or even 10 years to come in and voice our voice our not our opinions but voice our facts voice what is true and think that you know people are just going to embrace it and be like oh amazing totally say where you're coming from we're changing now Mm-mm. it's not going to work that way it it takes a lot of time it takes a lot of time so do i think that it is impossible to make change no do i think that some places are impossible to change yes and that is why i also believe that a lot of people such as myself have taken taken the initiative and the effort put in that effort to do our own things because who knows us better than us who knows us better than we do us we do we do and so for me personally i find so much more peace in being able to write not only for myself but also for other people who are like me there's there is a trust that is there and that's not just something i mean just because you know i'm a person of color doesn't mean that someone else who is a person of color is just going to automatically trust me um trust is still something that's earned leadership is still something that is earned and so for me this has been really rewarding to be able to create those spaces where people can feel that they can safely open up about where they have where they are where they have been where they're going um where they have arrived and where they plan to keep going it's it's a beautiful thing and I, there's a lot of responsibility there's a lot of ethics that goes along with that um because when someone opens up to you about their story it is it is whoever is receiving that it's like there there is a responsibility there is um there is a there is a privilege in that in being able to witness and to you know have someone share with you their experience um their lived or their shared experiences with you and then you know it's like there is a responsibility i feel an obligation to be able to champion that and to be able to share that with the world in a way that that person would want to be would want to be seen as you know how they would want to be represented um because that's my issue with mainstream media is that they do what they think that people want they and especially when they cover stories on um people such as myself it's it's about what they think is going to be a, the right way to push us through the system or is going to be the right way to represent us to the masses when 
you know, if you would honestly just give us more control and more power over, you know, how we're represented, then we can, we can have more conversations. It's like when um, Vogue wanted Beyonce on the cover of um, their September issue and she requested full control, everything down to the concept, to who she chose for the photographer. And that was when Vogue and their hundred in their entire 125 year history finally had their first black photographer to shoot their cover. So it's like when that control is provided, when that control is provided, then that's when things actually get real. That's when things get authentic. And that's when people respond. With like, when you kind of mentioned like the idea of control. So with done the magazine, I was kind of wondering on like, uh, I guess how the team breaks out and, uh, you know, are you doing all about yourself? Do you have like a full team? Do you give each person like their own totally different style when it comes to like the stories that consist the magazine? Mm-hmm. So the magazine is still in a team building phase. It is two issues in, um, it has gained quite a lot of recognition, um, as well as readership. And, um, I mean, I've collaborated with people, you know, from anywhere from all over this country nationally to internationally, like uh, in Mongolia even. Um, so team building is still happening and that is what I'm taking my time with, um, as I move into this third issue, as I move into this next phase of the magazine, um, because, yeah, the first issue was a majority me, even though it wasn't necessarily about me. It was a lot of me doing the writing and, you know, sourcing imagery and um, creating all of the graphics and everything by myself and then formatting everything and posting it, pushing out there all by myself. Um, Issue two was definitely a lot more of a collaborative process because a majority of the writing that was done was by other people from poetry to a long form article to a postscript. Um, I did write the interview. However, a majority of that interview was written from the heart of the interviewee. Um, and so that, that was a lot more collaborative. This next one, I want to take more, I want to take more of a, a leadership role and be able to delegate to other people who are just really interested and really passionate in owning a certain area, um, whether it is writing an article or it is being the photographer or it is being the illustrator or it is being someone that helps lay out pages um, or helps with getting sponsors or finding retailers. Um, And I've met, I've had the privilege of meeting quite a few people in each of those areas who really wants to step in and just help because they feel, um, they feel validated and they feel seen by what the magazine is doing. They feel like it's something that they can actually relate to because it is about them too. And on that idea of like the when you kind of mentioned like the different issues um with the kind of the third issue currently in motion i know i checked out like the website and uh, i was curious on like whether the virtual component started first or the very first edition physically uh came first and 
you know, if you kind of see moving forward, like you putting more effort like online or you putting it more onto like the distribution of the physical copies. Right. So when I had launched in 2020, it was all digital. I had it all on just the stories on Instagram. Um, and then when I had released issue two, I did create both of the, um, the web viewable version on the website. And then I did have the print version. Print version was primary and then web was secondary. Um, I wanted with that, with that specific release, I just wanted there to be as much access to it as possible. So it's like people who, what, who wanted the print one, that was more of an investment. You needed, you had to pay for it. Um, however, it's like what you had received in the mail was a really big, gorgeous broadsheet size newspaper magazine. Um, with everything completely original. Everything per issue is original. All the writing um, and the imagery is original. Well, starting with issue two, at least. Issue one, a majority of it was original. There was some Im imagery in there that was sourced. Um, but, you know, starting at issue two and onwards, it's like everything is original. Um, I just find way more value in being able to create something that is completely original to what that... Um, theme is for, you know, that specific issue and moving into issue three, I am going to prioritize print. There will be, there will be some content that is, I mean, of course, going to be released for the, the website um, in terms of, you know, certain, you know, written pieces and imagery and um, some other perhaps like blog pieces that could be posted on there. However, for issue three, I'm going to prioritize it primarily in print. Um, so accessing the content would be um, basically like a print only situation. When you're moving into specifically print or focusing uh, an emphasis on print for the upcoming third copy, uh, I was curious on when you like with that copy, I remember like reading like the second issue, uh, kind of seeing you know, it's kind of in black and white, uh, it has like a newspaper feel, um, very different from like any other kind of magazines I've read or checked out. Uh, you know, uh, would you want to kind of say on like the pros of that or kind of what came into that decision? Yeah. So my goal for the print, especially just the design in general especially the design for print, I wanted it to be um, one of one. I wanted it to be something that stood out on its own. Um, something that, I mean, of course, would captivate or capture attention. And for me, the design language of the magazine is a visual protest. It is, it is a visual protest. It is something that commands your attention and demands to be listened to. It demands to be seen and it requires to be heard. And so that large size um, was something that I felt that, I mean, it not only caught people's attention, but it being so large, it changes the, it just, it, it changes the look of everything. It, it gives a feel of a collectible. 
it gives a feel of an art piece, of a fine art piece, um, more than just a glossy magazine that you pick out of the news rack, you know, at a bodega downtown. Um, it's it's a collectible item. It is a piece of art in and of itself. And I feel that that is a way to really, um, really elevate the stories and the visuals that are contained within it. Um, so there's a lot of intention behind, I mean, not just the writing and like the content creation and like the image making for the issue, but there's a lot of intention behind the sizing of it. There's a lot of intention behind, um, you know, the typefaces and the black and white. The black and white for me is an extension of not being distracted and not forming biases against, you know, whatever it is that you're looking at. We can form a lot of biases based off of color. And so making it black and white, it just causes you to focus more on what it, what the concept is. It's not that it's more straightforward. It's just that you're able to focus more on what is there, what is in front of you. Um, so that's that, that was my intention with all of it. I mean, even the typefaces that I picked, it's like I wanted something that, of course, you know, was bold and was, was in your face and something else that also communicated a sense of, of education that communicated a sense of knowledge. And I know what I'm talking about kind of vibe. You mentioned, uh, with that type of, it kind of really bringing it to the attention of people or kind of definitely standing out compared to other magazines to claim someone's intention. So was it, uh, when you're kind of going to physical locations or kind of showing it off, um, was it like instantly was like that second issue instantly liked by people and you know, how did, I guess, how are you openly getting like distribution for like the recent issue? Yeah. So for issue two, most of the distribution came from me. Um, either I was I was the one that was shipping it out. Like I would get orders, I'd get lots of Venmos or Zells, and I would, you know, write, I would handwrite letters. I would, um, you know, wrap everything. I would put everything inside of the envelope and I would, you know, go to the UPS or the FedEx and I would ship it off. Um, and so I was, I was primarily my, my own distribution center. Um, as an independent publisher, I am looking into what my options are in terms of that, because that's something that, again, like I would like to offload. Um, and let's see, what was your other question? And kind of, uh, you know, what was like the, I guess, original, um, when you're kind of going to some of these events um, and kind of like tabling, what were people instantly thinking about like the magazine? Yeah, actually quite a few people got the vibe. Quite a few people got the vibe. And I mean, I'm talking about people who were of color and even even people who, who were white. They were like, yeah, like I, I get this. And um there were questions around like, you know, where did this start? Um, what's the mission? What is, what, what's, what's the, the purpose of this? And 
I mean, the mission and the purpose is always, always that Done the Magazine is created for and by the underrepresented. Always. That is who it champions. That is who the primary audience is. That, that's who it's for. That's who it's for. Um, and so when people would hear that or when we would converse about that, they were impacted. They were impacted by it. They were, they, they were genuinely impacted by it because this is a publication that is truly actually saying something that means what it says it doesn't just talk the talk, but walks the walk as well. Um, especially me as an editor in chief, it's like I am. I am always, always looking to make sure that the places that I table at, or the places with whom I'm going to retail at, share my vision, share my values, um, and are not going to be something that asks me or require me to to minimize or to wash any of the content that will never happen. That's why I don't even, I don't even ask people to pay as advertisers um, yet because I still am looking for entities. I still am looking for places that um, I honestly can trust. And I recently have found a few with whom that I have developed a relationship with um, who I will be pitching the next issue to, um, to see if they would like to um, have paid real estate within the magazine. My goal with that too is being in, in editorial, um, there came a time when advertising would dictate the content that would go into a magazine because they were paying big money. They became such a huge um, source of revenue for magazines um, or for, you know, editorial in general. And so this magazine is not that magazine. And really just kind of, uh, I was very curious on some of the softwares you possibly use when it comes to creating something like this. Uh, you know, is there any like uh, must-haves when it comes to the graphic design or anything that goes into this magazine that you recommend for anyone trying to, you know, follow in your footsteps? Yeah, for sure. I highly recommend the Adobe Creative Suite. The reason why is because it's everything is so cross-functional. There is so much cross-functionality that happens between Photoshop and Illustrator and InDesign. Um, as well as Premiere and After Effects and Lightroom. There's a lot of work that you can create in one and then you can have transferred or sent over to another application to continue to manipulate or to edit, um, all those kinds of things. I love InDesign specifically for laying out the pages, for designing the cover, working with typography. Um, setting all of my styles and everything for the issue. InDesign is um, my go-to software for publication design. And then if I am, you know, doing something in terms of like photography, a lot of that editing is going to happen in Lightroom. Some may happen in Photoshop. Um, Lightroom has just become a very powerful tool in and of itself that, I mean, a lot of photographers in the industry will use now. And um, 
In terms of creating video content or like motion content, my go-to is After Effects. Um, After Effects just has a lot of capability and functionality within it where you can make things you know, that are static. You can honestly like animate them. Um, you can make typography move. You can do image and um, like photo effects um, or video effects as well. And then also After Effects and Premiere Pro can also work in tandem with each other. After Effects is really good for like motion graphics. Um, however, it's also become a lot more powerful for video as well. Um, Premiere though is going to be more of the the software for like editing video or like color correcting or any of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, I wanted to just thank you again, Mark, and really wanted to ask uh, real quick um, to wrap everything up. Was there any upcoming projects? I, I know we're kind of talking about like with the third edition, but just anything um, related to done the magazine or with your um, outside of that with your personal work and freelancing um, that you're excited about, like the rest of this year or moving on to next year? Oh, yeah. Um, well, I made my first assignment for issue three this last weekend. Um, I had met with a journalist who's in New York who is on a story regarding social media. Um, so that is going to be something that's going to be a part of the next issue. Super excited to see the first draft that they're going to send over soon. And um, I'm really excited to just start writing the rest of um, the, how should I call it? Like the flat plan that's going to be happening for the next issue. Like just continuing to organize and section out the different areas that are going to be a part of the next issue. And then working on that editor's letter and then continuing to, um, partner and to assign projects. I'm really, really excited for some of these projects to get assigned because there are some individuals that are just fabulous for it. Um, so especially like the, the writer who's on the, the first article now. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited for that. And I mean, aside from that, I'll also give some tea. I, I walked away from my corporate job today. And so I have provided myself a lot of space and a lot of room for new opportunity to come. Um, I really am excited to honestly just have more time to be able to invest into this publication and into other freelance assignments as well that I have, but mostly into this publication, being able to, um, you know, get those sponsors, get the distribution, build the team and, to just continue to build this into the empire that I want it to be. No, I mean, that's, uh, honestly, Mark, that's really awesome to hear with um, kind of uh, that transition that you're excited about to be able to focus more on this. Um, and honestly, just when I read the, just literally just the second edition, um, it seems like you have like a lot of things going on into third edition and I'm looking forward to be able to sit down and read that. But uh, yeah, I mean, thanks again, Mark. Honestly, it was really cool to have you on uh, to not just talk about like kind of going into the magazine, but your kind of personal journey before that, um, kind of like how some of your travels and experiences and uh, influences from other people really influenced kind of the work that going that went into done. 
And it, you know, definitely seems like this is going to ha- have kind of more and more of an impact uh, kind of for the uh, DFW community uh, moving forward. Yeah, for sure. And thank you for having me on. This was a privilege. I really enjoyed being able to talk about everything with you and share about my experience. Um, and for for anyone who who is listening, who is interested in starting their own publication, um, a thought that I'll provide for that is to when you if you are if you are in a place where you're wondering or you're worrying about you know starting your own publication or you're not sure like where to start how to do it, my 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 thought to you, I, I challenge you to honestly get out of your own way. A lot of the times we are the only reason why things are not moving forward. So that is that is my my bit to everyone is to just get out of your own way, make that room for yourself and go for it. No, that's awesome to hear, Mark. Thanks again. Of course. Thank you. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Platinum Mask podcast. Stay connected with us directly through theplatinummask.com. You can also join the discussion on Instagram at graymask12. If you would like to speak with us, please send us an email through maskgrayson at gmail.com. And as always, thank you for pushing your mindset towards a better reality. This concludes the most thought-provoking portion of your day. Don't forget to like and subscribe to stay fully up to date. Until next time, raise a glass to success, no matter how you define it.